This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Moon Dust Press. Are there any little witches in your life? Moondust Press is an independent publisher of children's books about witchcraft and magic, like Brina, a pagan picture book, and the C is for Coven board book. Brina is a gentle introduction to magical paths like green witchcraft and kitchen witchery, and C is for Coven teaches the ABCs by matching each letter of the alphabet with witchy terminology like A is for altar and B is for besom. You can find these and more upcoming titles for the little witches in your life by going to moondustpress.com. Today's episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Baby Soap. Do you like to dwell in the shadows, but stay squeaky clean? Then Witch Baby Soap is the soap for you. They make fabulous occult-themed body products like coffin-shaped bath balms, tarot card soap, and crystal-embedded body butters. Their recipes are made with magical intentions, and they're free of all of those nasty things like sulfates and parabens. And now, you can get 15% off orders using offer code WITCHWAVE. That's WITCHWAVE, one word, on witchbabysoap.com. So get ready to wind down, lather up, and get some Witch Baby Soap products using offer code WITCHWAVE now. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to the season finale of The Witch Wave. Yes, my friends, we've come to the end of season four, and I have got such a succulent Sonic episode to share with you today. But before I do, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for your continued presence and support certainly over the last four years, but especially over this past incredibly challenging one. I am convinced that I have the world's greatest listeners, and all of your kind messages and interesting questions and likes and shares and listens have sustained me as I've continued to make this show under escalatingly difficult circumstances. I also want to give an extra special thank you to all of my guests and sponsors and Patreon backers who also kept showing up time and time again despite being in the midst of their own challenging years. I am just so, so grateful. And one final preamble, which is to remind you that just because I'm taking the summer off from doing the primary Witchwave podcast, I will still be putting out periodic bonus episodes and minisodes for my Patreon backers over the next couple of months. So do join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash witchwave so you don't have to go through summer witchwave withdrawal. 
And otherwise, I will be back for season five at the end of September. And I am so excited about the many magical guests that we have planned for you then. So speaking of endings and beginnings, today I'm thinking a lot about the symbol of the wheel and how it represents the cyclical nature of life. Beginning and ending and beginning again, so the podcast goes, and so everything goes. In paganism, we say that our holy days fall along the wheel of the year, and it marks the shift of the seasons and the myriad ways that nature is constantly renewing itself. The wheel can symbolize the cycles of birth, death, and rebirth, the movements of the sun and the moon and the stars, and the inner transformations that we all experience as our fortunes shift and ourselves evolve. I'm thinking of the wheel of Dharma in Buddhism, Ezekiel's wheel in Jewish mysticism, the medicine wheel or sacred hoop of many indigenous American tribes, even Marcel Duchamp's bicycle wheel, and so on and so on, each of which certainly have their own specific cultural contexts and meanings. But the notions of repetition and revolution are universal, and they point to the fact that we live on a rotating planet and that our own lives are in a constant state of flux and renewal. In his essay, The Circle and the Wheel and the Sun Door, Jungian scholar Harry Prochaska writes, quote, We are so accustomed to the wheel as a technological device that we assume this to be its origin when it appears in our imaginal life. However, archaeological evidence suggests that the image of the wheel occurs in the human psyche, even in those cultures which never developed a functional wheel. Unquote. In other words, the symbol of the wheel transcends the material. It speaks to something more vast than transportation. It speaks to transformation. As Marcel Duchamp remarked about his bicycle wheel piece, quote, To see that wheel turning was very soothing, very comforting a sort of opening of avenues on other things than material life of the everyday, unquote. Now, I've loved the earlier music of today's guest, Tia Cabral, who performs under the name Spelling with three L's. But when I heard that her new album is called The Turning Wheel, I just knew it was going to be spectacular and powerful on a whole other level. And oh my gods, was I right. I have been steeped in these occultic, melodic, mesmeric songs of hers for a few weeks now since I got an early preview. And I have been bursting with excitement to get to share Spelling's glorious new music and our conversation about it with you all. But before we get to that, first let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Jasmine writes... I've been a somewhat casually practicing kitchen witch for over a decade now, and I've never owned a cat. My partner and I are allergic, and honestly, I'm a dog person. Recently, however, I've been having dreams about cats. 
boxes of kittens, a black cat staring at me, and since my partner and I recently moved in together, we've been seeing our neighbor's cats stop by to quite literally smell the flowers. I have a garden outside our apartment. So my question is, who is trying to get my attention? Which goddess or spirit is associated with cats? I've tried googling it, but I keep only getting Bastet, which is great, but I don't have Egyptian roots, and I've spent many years ensuring that my altar and my worship does its best to not culturally appropriate. I have German, Hungarian, and Dutch roots, and my partner's ancestors come from the British Isles. Do you have any suggestions? I'd like to do my best to welcome them, whoever they are, into my home as clearly they are enjoying my garden and my dreamscape. Hello, Jasmine. Ooh, I love this question. I love playing a cult detective. Now, I am biased as I am a cat person, and our cat's Monday and birthday are currently curled up nearby as I'm recording this, so I think they're very interested in your question as well. So first things first, I completely respect your thoughtfulness about not wanting to culturally appropriate. But I might argue that simply learning about another culture is not appropriation. And so if Bastet has some resonance with you right now, I personally don't think there's anything wrong with you researching her and learning about her stories and symbols and seeing what messages she might have for you right now. We've talked a lot about cultural appropriation on the show already, and so I won't go into too much detail about all this again, but I do think that learning about something and appreciating it in a private and respectful manner is very different than exploiting something or profiting off of something that is not yours. So just some cat food for thought. That said, there is a feline-oriented deity who immediately popped into my head who has proto-Germanic roots, and that is the Norse goddess Freya. She is the goddess of love, fertility, magic, and warriors, and she is who the day Friday, or Freya's day, is named after. But most significantly to your question, and speaking of wheels for that matter, Freya is said to ride in a chariot pulled by two cats. In some tellings, these cats were gifted to her by Thor, the god of thunder, and apparently there's a tradition of Nordic farmers leaving out offerings to these two mythic kitties in order to attain a good harvest. So that is hopefully some intriguing information for you, perhaps? I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Now, on to my guest. Tia Cabral is a Bay Area-based musician who performs under the magical moniker Spelling. She released her first moodily mystical full-length, Pantheon of Me, in September 2017 to rave reviews, including being Bandcamp's number four record of that year. And she followed it up in 2018 with her critically acclaimed, darkly sparkling album, Maisie Fly, released on Sacred Bones Records.
On both of these albums, she draws from dream imagery and esoteric symbolism to tap into the ethereal realm of emotion and spirit, all spiraling from a synthesonic palette. Her brand new album, The Turning Wheel, was just released and it marks a symphonic expansion for spelling with lush orchestral production that utilizes 31 musicians and celebrates macrocosmic and microcosmic themes of, as the press release puts it, human unity, the future, divine love, and the enigmatic ups and downs of being part of this carnival called life. Dancing, we are dancing without moving, without moving. Looking, glass of glory in our eyes. feels very much like a magnum opus, in other words, and heralds a brilliant and bewitching music maker at the height of her powers. The visuals for the album are maximalist as well, with Spelling and Co. donning elaborate costumes and metamorphic makeup. Spelling has toured with Boy Harsher and Eamon Dunes, and her live performances are regarded as revelations of spell and spectacle. And you can bet I'm going to be getting tickets to see her as soon as she makes it east. Tia joined me from her home in Berkeley, California, via Zoom. Tia Cabral, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I have loved your music for a long time. And your new album, The Turning Wheel, is so exquisite. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It means a lot. So this album came out just a few days ago on June 25th. And it really does feel like an evolution I was going to say the word departure, but I don't know that it's a departure from your prior two albums. It really feels like this rich evolution. And I'd love to hear about your intention behind this album and how you came up with this more full orchestral pageantry vibe for this. It's really, really deluxe and gorgeous. It does feel less of a departure, more of an evolution because, yeah, I think that the progression from what I was making previously with spelling was kind of more of a reflection of just my resources and kind of my circumstances and access. What I wanted to dream up for The Turning Wheel, was it was kind of my fantasy album. The <laughs> What kind of propels me and attracts me towards music. I created a like romantic concept of the album, listening to a lot of 70s soul music and thinking about sort of the ingredients that go into making like an elaborate lush orchestral production like that, which I think at that time had a lot to do with just raw talent and sort of divine timing and sort of chance even to be in the right space together. So that was kind of the intention I originally had Mm. with the album was like, I want to sort of try my best to recreate that in a time where music making just has a different format. Things took a very different route because of the world 
but knowing that at heart, that was kind of where my motivation was at and hearing, you know, how it came together, I think it still accomplished the spirit of that time. It was a new experience for me, collaborating with a ton of people. So, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Did you record this pre-pandemic? Because I was trying to figure out how you might have gotten a lot of those bodies in the same room, or perhaps it was all remote. Yeah, so the first stages of recording were happening, like, end of 2019, like, in the winter time, And I was like, let me, you know, start gathering my people, gathering the, the musicians that I want to work with. And I worked with the string quartet and we recorded some stuff almost just like as a demo to have that foundation to work with so I could keep writing the songs. Ended up using those as, you know, permanent fixtures of the album. So that's kind of how it came together. It was just like, I'm like, let me start recording chunks and this can kind of be placeholders until we can recreate this in a live way. But it just ended up needing to be all modular as a whole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I feel like really grateful we were able to get together with that amount of people and groups to record big chunks of the album. And then the rest was, you know, remote and just doing sessions masked up and distance. Sure. Yeah. So it was just really un- an unpredictable journey. Yeah, well, obviously it worked in your favor because what you've come up with is so special. And I was thinking a lot about how so many musicians these days, I feel like, are either making lots and lots of short songs and singles and trying to, like, algorithm bust on Spotify and all that, or else they're doing, like, more background-y kind of music. Again, it feels like Spotify is so dictating a lot of the ways that musicians are creating Whereas on the turning wheel, it really feels like those lush albums that you just want to listen to from start to finish. You have some longer songs. You know, it really feels like you are hearkening back to an earlier time. And yet it's super future forward, too. So I'd love to hear about the songwriting process a little bit. Um, Did you have in mind doing something that someone would listen to front to back? Definitely. I have never written a song that I thought would stand alone. To me, when I think about The Turning Wheel, they all interact together. All of the songs were very intentional. I mean, the order was very intentional to me too, but just as a whole, I think you learn more about the music when you hear them together and they inform each other. That's the funnest aspect of music making to me is like building an album, building this kind of record of process of you know of research and thought and I I treat each song as a little adventure it's like writing a book or something you know and like each chapter is like that so that's just the type of artist I think I've figured out that I am is one song will write the next the integration of them it's just such a magical feeling to have it complete especially with this album The Turning Wheel where the concept is this above and below concept where I was thinking about, you know, progression, circulation, it's cyclical. And um, I wanted the listener to be able to just to be able to like put on headphones and go into a different world and kind of just comfort and escape in the album. Oh, yeah. It really feels like an alchemical transformation, you know, and, and I think you're also referencing the alchemical adage as above, so below. And it feels yeah. like the first half of the album, which is what you call the above songs, it feels really celestial and positive and twinkling and sparkling. And then the second half of the album is more underworldy and sonic Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I really love that. And of course, it also, to me, reminds me of like in the old days when we had sides to records or sides to our cassette tape. And I really, really love that kind of bifurcation. And I'm, I'm curious if alchemy was an influence on the album. I mean, I certainly see a lot of tarot imagery in the video for Turning Wheel. You literally have tarot cards. You also have songs like The Emperor with an Egg and Queen of Wands, which, you know, hearken to tarot. I'd love to hear more about some of those supernatural or magical influences. The As Above, So Below reference was 
definitely on my mind where I was thinking about the living entity of the music, the living entity of like the form of an album and how it's going to exist outside of me, outside of the intention that I put into it and how it lives beyond. And all of the music that I've been putting out so far is just really saturated with this curiosity and infatuation with the divine. And what does it mean to be like incarnated in this world right now as a human being? I write from a very personal place, but I like to try to translate it to speak very universally. So you can latch on to meetings in in many different ways. But yeah, so I think this aspect of divinity, the quest to just uncover what is the Godhead? What is the stage that we can sort of transcend into beyond what our living reality is and what our day-to-day is and the turning wheel is, you know, it's about sort of embracing the aspects of our earthly day-to-day, of our cycles, and also sort of battling with the frustrations of, you know, what are we striving for beyond that? When do we ever leave this state of like perpetual cycles, <laughs> you yes, know? And yes. um, Wheel of Fortune card. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So the, the Wheel of Fortune card kind of embodied that as a whole with the concepts of just like change and reality, inertia, the idea that things are solid, but they're actually moving and how do we embrace that? Each song kind of is a reflection of that in certain ways on the album. It progresses through the above, below, through the like sun, moon, like you were saying, like the sparkle, the the joy, the brilliance of being to the sort of more reflective and sublime aspects of the inner self. And Tarot really just guided how I made the songs, how I chose the titles, how I reflect on the songs as these living beings, like as these living archetypes and entities. Mm. Were you literally pulling cards to help dictate some of the songs? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I would do that all the time. Um, As I ordered the songs, I was thinking about tarot too, and which sort of major arcana card sort of reflected the order of the tracks. Certain songs were written directly by pulling a card. So Legacy was a big one where I drew the Three of Swords. Mm. And I was using the Aleister Crowley deck Mm -hmm. at that time, which I don't use too often (laughs) anymore because it's really, it's a really like intense deck. Mm -hmm. The imagery, it's very potent. It's also very influential. So anyway, I drew the Three of Swords from that deck and I had already began writing the melody of that song and it was coming together, but I hadn't developed the lyrics. And usually that's the trend with how I write is like, I have the whole story there with the music, with the melody, but the lyrics come last. And tarot just helps me to kind of get through that process that's hard of making the words. Mm, I and love so, that. Yeah, the Three of Swords, the word that the deck puts on that card is sorrow. And the idea of the three also representing the number of creation, of birth, of something new coming into being out of a duality. So yeah, I was like, okay, so the song is about birth. <laughs> so the lyrics, I just started to go about, you know, what is it like from the perspective of something being born? And that song is all about like, it's from the perspective of a baby, <laughs> of a baby just like entering into the world and kind of like the trauma of of that and the joy and the like imagining that state of entering into the blaring daylight mm-hmm. <laughs> of the world when this is all you've known is just this in- internal state. Ah, oh, gorgeous. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. There are more witches out there and we need to find them. The Freeform original series Motherland Fort Salem is back for season two. Motherland Fort Salem takes place in an alternate universe version of modern-day America, where a woman who is a witch must join the army and use her powers to defend the nation. A recent discovery revealed that there are women in the world who don't know they possess the gift, and now the search is on for these hidden witches. Finding them is more urgent than ever, because their ancient enemy has returned to wipe all witches from the face of the earth. Motherland Fort Salem is a show with mind-blowing magic, terrifying danger, and a powerful sisterhood. It's a world unlike any you've seen before. 
These are not the witches you've heard stories about. Freeform's Motherland, Fort Salem, now streaming on Hulu. New episodes Wednesdays. Look, it's hard enough grappling with our own emotions under ordinary circumstances, but even more so when the world is going through massive collective challenges. I am so grateful for my therapist, and even though I've done sessions in person for years, I've been pretty amazed at how effective online therapy has been for me right now. And so I can heartily recommend BetterHelp, an online counseling service which can provide you with your own licensed professional therapist to talk to via video or phone sessions. So if you have anxiety issues like I do, or are dealing with depression, stress, trauma, grief, or even just day-to-day struggles with your relationships or your family, or just feeling like you're not meeting your personal goals right now, which let's be honest, has been very difficult for most of us these days, I really encourage you to reach out to the folks at BetterHelp. They will connect you with a counselor that you can start chatting with in under 24 hours. Now, a few things I really appreciate about BetterHelp is that it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Plus, they offer financial aid to those who qualify. And they make it super easy to change counselors so you can find one that you really click with. Best of all, which wave listeners, that's you, get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash witchwave. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash witchwave. I believe that all human beings can benefit from therapy. I certainly have myself, and I'm so glad that it's becoming more accepted and more accessible to do so. So please pop over to betterhelp.com witchwave and find a great counselor to talk to. BetterHelp is confidential, convenient care, and you, my friend, deserve that. There's a legacy that I wanna take over out of my mind and into the delight. There's a legacy that I wanna take over out of my mind and into the Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Tia Cabral, a.k.a. Spelling. So Tia, I want to talk just a little bit more about your new album. I was so taken with a lot of the musical influences that I think my ear was detecting. I mean, it certainly sounds very singular and very much like your own point of view and very unique. And yet I also couldn't help but notice like a little bit of maybe Alice Coltrane, a little Kate Bush, some Bowie, some Beatles. Am I on the money there? And who am I missing? Both of those artists that you brought up, Alice Coltrane isn't an artist that I grew up listening to, but is someone that's kind of just crept into my radar from like living in Oakland, from working with certain musicians like I met this wonderful artist, Destiny Muhammad, who is a harp player here in Oakland. She calls herself the harpist from the hood. She started playing harp when she was 30. That was her first time like meeting the instrument and learning how to play. Wow. Yeah, she's someone in the community that I'm just like, wow, I, I feel like a parallel in sort of my arc as an artist too, just coming into music sort of later in life in an unexpected way. So she always on her Instagram like has posted Alice Coltrane and it draws a lot of inspiration from her. And so I was like, well, I need to get into this. And mm. also with Kate Bush, this is just an artist where it's like, wow, how did I not know about <laughs> all of the the bodies of work that you've given to the world? Not somebody I knew about. 
in she's my such childhood. A genius, though, and I feel like Kate Bush finds you when she's meant to find exactly, you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now she's someone that I adore and totally idolize and listen to all the time. But I didn't listen to her music intimately until um, after Maisie Fly. I put out that album, and then I'm also very blinders on when I'm writing so when people are like oh listen to this or that I'm just like I'll listen to it when I'm done writing the album then I can take in new information so I I totally get that yeah (laughs) so after I finished Maisie Fly I'm like okay it's time for Kate Bush and then I just dived into her catalog and into her entire world and was like oh this is so affirming and felt even more inspiration to keep on the trajectory that I was with spelling Mm. But yeah, and outside of that, it's really easy for me to kind of absorb and get inspired by things. So like, I try to limit what I listen to when I'm making. And when I was working on the turning wheel, each song, when I start to write it, I sit down and like, if a melody comes to mind, I want to try to step out of the way as much as possible and let the song create itself. I'm following its lead. And so if it reminds me of something, then I'll just go in this whole crazy research (laughs) mode with it. So for instance, with Little Deer, the intro is this piano line that I wrote first. And I was like, this is giving me springtime. It's giving me plants and like animal kingdom for whatever reason. (laughs) So then it was bringing me again into that world of like soul music and Michael Jackson and the use of the voice. I wanted the purity of the sound to just cut through with vocals. The way that young Michael Jackson's voice was doing that in my mind was a big influence on how I wrote that song. Same with a lot of the songs on the above side of the album. Vocals to me was this character of youth, sort of just like naivety. The fool card. Of the fool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just I just went with that. Yeah, and I read somewhere, it might have even been on your Instagram, that Little Deer was also inspired by the Frida Kahlo painting, The Wounded Deer yeah. from 1946. And that is one of my favorite paintings of hers. So I was super excited about that. It's so epic. Absolutely. Yeah, I I went to Frida Kahlo's, her museum house in oh, Mexico Casa City. Azul. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous, yeah. isn't it? Totally. And to see just some of her work for the first time in the flesh, because a lot of them are small, like much smaller than I thought. And it just felt like a figure that was so beyond her time. Mm. Thinking about the painting also just as a living entity, when you see it there, it's like the layers of paint and like the texture, just like seeing it as a material object was really inspiring to you know, how I was thinking about making music. And later I just referenced it in my mind too, like the music song as this portrait of something. In an interview, you said, quote, music is my spiritual practice. And I think the power of music to bring people together is the most sacred thing, unquote. So I'd love to hear you expand upon the idea of music as spiritual And I'd also love to hear if you have a wider spiritual practice that music is part of, or is that your only spiritual practice? I mean, certainly that's a big, juicy, beautiful one. So, Yeah, my arc with being a creator, as being a creative person, finding music as my medium really just changed who I was as a person drastically. I was talking to my dad kind of about growing up, he was saying how as you grow up and become, you know, older and older and you see time and and like cycles go by, you still feel that deep down you are this same person. Like you're still the child there (laughs) that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's this like core part of you that isn't ever really changing. And I was like, yes, I totally agree. But I do feel like this big shift happened, at least personally for me, when I was able to start producing music and find that outlet. I think it really shifted something in my brain, like just in my chemistry as a person. I am really grateful for that. And I think it just feels like sort of locking in with this idea of destiny for me and um, what I feel like my contribution is in my time here on earth. As long as I have these faculties for creating, I feel as though 
I see the each day and like each moment in this new purpose with music making. So that's just to me, the ultimate idea of sacredness is just sort of being able to become one with your destiny and sort of embrace that because I think each person innately is wanted here on earth. Each person innately has and deserves to have the ability to express themselves and to connect with people that way and to build love from that. That to me is what sacredness is. I'm really grateful that I've found like a really potent way to tap into that. And I always want to make music. It'll never just expire. Like there's just infinite Mm. ways to approach it. I love that. I'm also thinking about how a lot of your songs almost work on the level of spellcraft for me. Certainly this whole new album feels like a big sonic spell. But then I was thinking about some songs from Maisie Fly like Haunted Water, which you wrote about the middle passage and feels very much almost like a, I don't know, a seance or an altar contacting and honoring your lost ancestors, or a song like Golden Numbers, which is about sacred geometry and the Fibonacci sequence. So I guess I'm wondering if it feels that way for you when you're crafting your music. I love the idea of you just being your most spiritual self because you are allowing yourself to be a musician and and your music in general is like this offering But I wonder if it feels to you as if your songs are doing any kind of magical working as well. What I put into creating the music is it's a work of channeling to me. I want to remove my ego as much as possible and kind of just become this vessel for the sound. Entering into that state, it's a combination of discipline and ritual when you interact with sound, you become familiar with its flirtation and how, you know, the more you chase it, the more it resists you, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the more you try to like hunt it down, it evades. So that feels like a magical process where you come to understand ebb and flow of the creative pursuit, the process and the structure of designing a song or designing like a work of art is literally what magic is. Magic is this sort of life building, life design, and the sort of steps that you create, the ingredients for that are, um, is what magic is about. You're dealing with really just abstract and ephemeral qualities. Working with sound as a, a material is, uh, it's just the most satisfying thing for me. When I put the music out, I don't really feel this attachment. Like I don't really go back and listen to a lot of the stuff I release once it's out. Mm. It's its own being now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I kind of distance myself from it, nurturing it and and cultivating it and all of that. It's, it's alive to me. And then once I release it, it's very cathartic. And and then it can do its work on other people. Yeah, exactly. So powerful. I want to take us back to the world of tiny Tia. (laughs) Because (laughs) in reading a little bit about your biography, you know, you and I come from different backgrounds, and yet I could really relate to your story of being this suburban kid with this, like, super huge imagination. Like, the whole, like, Edward Scissorhands of it all, right? (laughs) Like, feeling like, oh my goodness, everything's a cookie cutter. And so I need to build this elaborate, lavish, magical world for myself. So can you just walk us through a little bit about what you were like as a kid and what your family was like? So I grew up in Sacramento, California. Elk Grove is even more suburban part of Sacramento. So when I moved to Elk Grove, I was six years old and it was just developing very like suburban sprawl, shopping malls and tons of development happening as we moved there into our new house. As a kid, I had a lot of natural sort of creative tendencies with music making. I notice now as I look back how much music was a part of just like really simple rituals in my household. My dad worked from home and my mom went out to work for a stage of time. I remember my dad would like put on certain songs for certain things. Like he would get up and do the dishes and like be doing chores and things. And he would have different songs for 
each thing that he did <laughs> every day, you know, I was absorbing all of that. It's just something to do with the ritual of creating this world around you with this song. And it, it was different every time, but it was also the same. I was infatuated with that. And also we went to Catholic church. The idea of ritual there was something I was always really attentive to about how, you know, we did the same songs, we did the same prayers, but it was different every time. I think that kind of, that opened up the world to me of music as, you know, when there is monotony, when there is sort of repetition, there is still change. There is still this mysterious <laughs> kind of nuance and music was that for me. So like I would get really obsessed with certain songs when I first got a CD player. Do you remember any of the songs that you were obsessed by? <laughs> My dad was really into music and loved classic things. Like he loved the Beatles. He loved Bob Marley, just kind of the titans of music. And mm -hmm. he had all of the Beatles music. So I would rotate all of the Beatles, listen to the music all the time. And the sing-songy way of their writing was like really, I think, affected the way I write music about, you know, making something really like clear, memorable. I loved that about their songwriting. And so I listened to a lot of the Beatles and kind of just retreated into that world. And it just would soundtrack how I would walk around my neighborhood and see sort of the same things, but like reimagine them with this music in my head. Gorgeous. You stated somewhere that your father owned a library of violins, which is like <laughs> the best image. Yeah. So it sounds like he had a lot of influence on you, but I, I didn't get the sense that you were formally trained in music. Is that right? Or did you take lessons at some point? No, not at all. And my dad's business, he repairs and refurbishes and also now does lessons with violins, but that was much later in my life. So after, I think, right around the time when I moved away for school, he became really interested in violins. He was already collecting antiques and things like that. So, mm -hmm. And then he got a hold of a violin, was really interested in it. And we, we have that in common with our personalities where <laughs> we'll go on these kicks about, <laughs> about certain things and just get all absorbed in it. So it turned into violins. It never went away, though. It was never like a passing phase. So he started collecting tons of violins and I wasn't, you know, in my room. He was storing them in there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He sounds like an amazing person. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I want to get to how music entered your life as you being the creator of it. I read that you saw someone doing poetry, I think, at an open mic, and they were using a loop pedal. And and it reminded me of when Patti Smith first started doing music. You know, she came through the door of poetry, and music became this tool that she kind of used to embellish her poetry. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if, if it was kind of the same for you, because I understand that you really loved poetry as well. I think that's really accurate. To me, I see the poetry part of my life as yeah a bridge towards music which felt much more at home and natural but I was doing spoken word workshops and poetry writing workshops when I was at UC Berkeley and met some amazing friends they took me to this furniture store slash underground venue in San Francisco on Valencia Street. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and yeah, it was awesome. It was like there was a black cat upstairs that kind of like stood guard and you like walk down and it's all wooden, like this like tavern with a little bar. And our friends from the collective would go there every week to just kind of rehearse the poems they were writing. And I never performed there. I would just watch. I was so paralyzingly nervous to perform. So I mostly just would write. But at one of them, I saw this person and I can't remember the name of her project, but it was her and someone on acoustic guitar that did a performance that was poetry, but with this loop pedal. And I had never seen a loop pedal before. I'd never watched it in action. And I love the sort of trance that she was making and this waterfall of words and the same sort of trope of like repetition but each way that it's nuanced makes it different because then it becomes incantation doesn't yeah, it? yeah exactly and I was like oh I need that 
Yes. Right now. And I went and ordered one online and just started playing around with it. And that I think really was the catalyst of getting to the music making, getting to that part where I'm like, this isn't too far off. You know, it's not that different. Mm. And here you are today. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we're going to take another break and we'll be right back. 2,000 years ago, in labyrinthine underground temples across the Roman Empire, the first beeswax candles were burned in secret rituals to the god Mithras. Now you can experience some of this mystery for yourself with Mithras candles, my favorite. Handmade from the purest East Coast golden cappings beeswax with that natural, subtle, honey and floral scent, Mithras candles are the perfect illumination for the mysteries of your life. Mithras candles come in natural gold and rich black varieties. You can also get them in their signature, stunning, hand-dripped style, or you can choose their smooth and rustic version. They also have wide pillars for sale if you're feeling extra expansive with your magic. And, very exciting, they now have new long-sleeve black t-shirts for sale, and I am so excited to get mine because I love a long-sleeve shirt, and this one is gorgeous. So go on ahead to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and use offer code WITCH for 13% off your first order. That's MithrasCandle.com, and offer code WITCH gets you 13% off your first order. Thank you, Mithras. I am so excited to tell you about Maud's Paper Wing Gallery. Maud's Paper Wing Gallery is a queer, woman-owned witch shop and LGBTQIA plus gift store located in Pittsburgh. The witches at Maud's Paper Wing Gallery are passionate about personal growth and healing past traumas, and they have collected a vast assortment of tools and resources to support your spiritual and emotional journey. Join their virtual community by stopping into their weekly movie nights or their bi-monthly book club on Zoom. For a virtual tour of their shop and to meet the witches, you can join them on Facebook Live every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, you can also visit the Mods Paperwing Gallery online store to browse a variety of crystals, candles, books, zines, I love a zine, stickers, and fun gifts that range from spooky to rainbow and covered in glitter. For more information or to check out their online store, head over to www.modspaperwinggallery.com. And Maud is spelled like Harold and Maud, M-A-U-D-E-S, paperwinggallery.com. And use code WITCHWAVE for 13% off your first order. That's modspaperwinggallery.com. Code WITCHWAVE gets you 13% off your first order. Get something good. Would you like even more WITCHWAVE? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus WITCHWAVE Plus episodes, ad-free WITCHWAVE episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards also include magical merch and giveaways, early heads up about my workshops before they sell out, and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly rituals and video chats, and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witches. So head on over to patreon.com witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Little dear, little dear, the 
Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Tia Cabral of Spelling. So Tia, I understand that at least for a time you were an elementary school teacher. Are you still doing that? Yeah, so I was working at Glenview Elementary School for a couple of years after I graduated at Berkeley. And I was their sort of resident substitute teacher. So I would Mm. plug in and out of all of the different classes, kindergarten through fifth, and I would come up with my own curriculum. And usually it was just some sort of like elective. I would do art. Sometimes I would do science lessons. I did that for a couple of years. And then I also still sometimes do substitute teaching in Oakland for these schools that I've worked with for a very long time. It's been like six years and I really like kind of need to do that <laughs> from time to time because not, not only do I love children, being with them is medicine for me. And I feel so much more comfortable around children than adults. Like <laughs> I, I just really gel with them. And also it's just this dose of groundedness that I need when I'm working on music a lot lately. And it requires a lot of self-consciousness of like, this is what you're doing for your project and a lot of focus on me. And I just need a way to kind of shift that all off. And when you're working with children, you're giving everything to them. You're like giving all of your attention and your time. And to me, it's like a really great dose of groundedness and humility. Yeah. It also just keeps me in touch with where I think our future is as a person in the community, what's next to come and what are in the minds of these youth. So I love to be in that place. Yeah, it keeps me alive, (laughs) to be real. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Is it correct, I'm assuming, that also like being near the whimsy and imagination of kids is kind of medicinal for you too? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) You know, I don't share about that I'm an artist. You know, they don't know that. But I definitely just appreciate how naturally creative they are. And I have a huge stash of drawings that I've collected over the years from them. Um, ah, <laughs> like, amazing. like ridiculous amounts of art. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. You know, I was thinking about you in the context of being a very joyful and exuberant performer. I was thinking about how in your new video for Turning Wheel, like there's dancing and you're smiling and And in your video for Under the Sun, you're smiling. And it seems like such a silly thing. But, you know, when I was uh, in college, I was a huge fan, and I still am, of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. And I remember watching Karen O perform, and she just had a huge grin on her face. And it felt so fucking revolutionary (laughs) to, like, see especially a female performer who just is really joyful in their music. And so I wonder if that's something you're even conscious of. Yeah, it's just genuine, the joy that I feel there. And especially with the turning wheel that I, that song. And we made that video in March of this year. So it was a little Mm -hmm. bit before, you know, people were starting to kind of have the ability to emerge. Yeah. And so it took a lot of work to be able to get there. And it was like me and my friends that are in it, it was our first time seeing each other. It was our first time really getting to hold space in the same place together. So that was just genuine joy. And I wanted that, you know, like I had talked about how like I could do something with just me for the video or make something that didn't involve other people. But to me, it felt like a foundational part of it to capture that because that to me was what the song was about. It it was about that like desire and that yearning for like a sort of utopic connection and dimension. In a lot of your videos and performance, you're also wearing these costumes that often remind me of like different trickster characters, whether it's like kind of clown or mime or witches or I don't know these these almost like jester figures and it got me thinking about how Sun Ra would call himself I think the quote is the jester Mm. of the creator (laughs) I, I know you love Sun Ra as well and so I was just curious in your costuming if you are consciously playing with some of that trickster kind of jester energy as well yeah absolutely I love that Sun Ra reference and quote. I love Sun Ra because 
reinvention. It was his craft, just being able to say, this is who I am one day, this is who I am the next, really meaning it. That power of storytelling is like what Sun Ra is all about. I think about Space is the Place, which is an amalgamation of his music and also his story as an artist and how, you know, music is this vessel for transcending the chains of oppression and transcending into a different reality. So I, I really admire Sun Ra for that. And I think when I create work with spelling, I'm thinking about the different archetypes of the music. And I love playing around with the sort of magician trope, the trickster, the sacred trickster, the person that's like kind of showing you the illusions around being alive and allowing you to be playful, allowing you to like be there with them and pull back the curtain. That's why I like to play around with that idea of like the magician um, a lot with my visuals. There's another Sun Ra quote that I wrote down. He said or wrote, I do not come to you as a reality. I come to you as the myth because that is what black mm -hmm. people are, myths. I came I from a it. dream that the black man dreamed long ago. I'm actually a presence sent to you by your ancestors. Yeah. And so I wondered if also there's any act of resistance on your part consciously in allowing yourself to also be this mythical, exuberant being on stage. I really adore that Sun Ra quote, speaking to so many big themes, living in a sort of apocalyptic state without being aware of it. Also very, very specific themes like the Black condition in America and music as a vehicle and a multiverse. I find a lot of empowerment in to having those steps sort of laid out by artists that I admire who have done things like that. Like Dorothy Ashby, I feel like is another figure with like Afro harping who combines the idea of this, you know, music as a mythical vehicle of transcendence. I find a lot of self-empowerment from that. I want to be able to make music that comforts people who have identities like mine, the alt-brown people who are not necessarily represented in the music industry or in the type of visuals that they see. And I feel really grateful that I can like be that for certain people. And I know like a lot of the people who listen to my music are brown, are queer, are futuristic thinking. I'm just happy to kind of like be tapped into that horizon of music making. You stated in another interview, everyone has a little bit of a witch inside them. And <laughs> as our last question for today, I would love to know if you still feel that way and why. <laughs> I think it just speaks to what I was saying earlier about being able to tap into your destiny, taking a stance that says the way that I move through the world, the unique ways that I interact and express are wanted here and are divine in and of itself. The power of being a witch is that you are in harmony with what your desires are. You're not afraid of passions, the animus within yourself that has instinct and that has desire and you decide to not suppress those things. And I think Everybody has that within themselves and just needs the, the right resources and like capacity to express them to their best and fullest extent. And they need people and like things around them to sort of nurture those abilities. So I think everyone has that state within themselves. I hope that when you, you know, listen to my music that you feel inspired to kind of like tap into those forms of yourself, whatever they are, you know. Access your real desires, access your real fantasies and your deepest imaginations and visions for yes, your life. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I know I said that's the last question, but part B, just to tie it all together, am I correct in assuming that's where the name spelling comes from, that it's about spell casting? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and we, and we got to talk about those three L's. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw the third L in there to make it its own word, you know, just 
to make it its own um, entity because I'm so into that. It's a play on multiple things. It's a play on spell casting. It's a play on even like at the time I was teaching. So I was like spelling, haha, like <laughs> that's funny, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm a teacher. <laughs> also, just the <laughs> idea of like creating a word is a form of magic to me. It's a form of taking a concept that exists inside of your brain and like the process of forming it into the world it's changing reality. And so I think about words a lot and just like words is magic and spelling, writing something out, Erica Badu quote, I think write something out and watch it become real. And that's magic, you know? Absolutely. (sighs) Big (laughs) satisfied sigh because I just find your music to be such a feast and this conversation was a delicious banquet thank you so (laughs) much tia for being on the witch wave and thank you for your glorious glorious music thank you pam i really appreciate it that's it for the show and that's it for season four Thank you again to Tia Cabral for sharing her spellbinding songs and musical majesty with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the witch wire. The Witch Wave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Josh Wilcox. Thank you, Josh. And myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and I by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Carrie Schaff, Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other places and give us lots of sparkly stars if you would. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at witchwavepod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please do consider joining us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. May you have an enchanting and restorative summer. And I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs>